Okay. John chapter 18. We are in a series called The Foundation of Our Faith, and we are actually studying the, the basic doctrines of the Bible and what we really believe about each of these doctrines. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to start a four-week mini-topic series on bibliology, which is the study of the Bible. So what do we believe about the Bible? If you look at John chapter 18, verse number 35, Jesus is standing before Pontius Pilate, who is the Roman governor. And as he stands before Pilate, he has been accused of the Jews of wanting to be their king. And since there was already a king, Herod, they considered this treason. And so they have taken him to the Roman governor and said he needs to be executed for treason because he says he's our king. Now, Pilate actually asked the Jews. He said, look, I'm not a Jew. I mean, why are you bringing him to me? Why don't you just do it yourself? They said, because we can't. We don't have any authority to do this. We, we Legally, we can't string him up, or we would. But you can't. Because you are the governor of Rome. You have the legal authority to execute a criminal. So we brought him to you. So Pilate is talking to him. Now, because it was uh, a holy day and they didn't want to defile that, they didn't take him inside to Pilate. Pilate had to come out to meet with him and see Jesus. And so we pick this up in verse number 35. Well, the Bible says, am I a Jew? Pilate replied, it was your people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. He's talking to Jesus now. He's come out. He's met Jesus. You know, why are you here? What have they accused you of? What's going on here? And he says, what is it that you've done? I mean, why are you people so mad at you? I mean, have you seen them out? Man, they are really upset. I'm not a Jew. I mean, I, I don't understand why they brought you to me. What in the world have you done to make these people so mad? Notice what Jesus says, verse 36. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. Interesting, he says, but now my kingdom is from another place. One day he will rule and reign on the earth, and his kingdom will then be brought to the earth. <clears throat> but at this time it was not. It was in heaven. Then, uh, verse 37, you are a king then, said Pilate. So, so you are telling me you're a king. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. <clears throat> and for this, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And verse 38 is the title of what we want to talk about today. Pilate says this, what is truth? Jesus said, I came to expose the truth, and everyone who is on the side of the truth listens to me. So Pilate says, so what is truth? Pilate asked. Now I want you to take your Bible, look back one chapter to John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, Jesus is with his disciples, his apostles, and they're praying. This is commonly known as the high priestly prayer of Christ. 
prior to his crucifixion, where he prays for all of those, not only who had believed in him then, but who would believe him throughout the centuries. And so he's praying for us, essentially. And I want you to notice what he says in his prayer in verse number 17. Now, again, remember, he's praying to his Father, he's praying for us, or for all believers, and he says this, Sanctify them by the truth. The word sanctify just simply means to set apart, or in the biblical sense, practically it means to make holy. Sanctification is the process whereby we are made holy or made like Christ in our life. So when he says, sanctify them, set them apart, make them like me, Father, through thy truth. Then he answers Pilate's question. What is truth? Look at the last part phrase in verse 17. Your word is truth. So, to our question today, what is truth? To the believer in Jesus Christ, the answer to that question is the Bible. That is true. If you go out into this world and you try and discuss with non-believers why you are a Christian, why do you go to church, why do you believe in Jesus, why do you do all this stuff, in order for you to have some type of a intelligent, successful valuable conversation, you both are going to have to agree on one standard of truth. And first of all, it's not our opinion. My opinion means just as much as yours does. I mean, it's my opinion. It is not the standard of truth. Um, and, and the reason is, I can be wrong, and am, a lot. You can be wrong. And any of you that never finished uh, high school or college with a perfect 4.0 average, not 4.0 grade point average, but 4.0, and you never missed one thing on one project or test ever in all of your life, then you make mistakes too. Because you miss things. You get things wrong. We all do. We're human. We get things wrong. So how do I know what the truth is? How do I know something that I can trust? And that's what we're going to talk about. We're talking about our method, our standard, our place where we go for truth. So when someone asks me, what is truth? The Bible is truth. So what we want to do today is we're going to start our study on bibliology by talking about how we know the Bible is the truth. And I'm going to give you several things today that hopefully will help you, okay? So we begin with the question, what is truth? And we answered it with the Bible. And the Bible tells us that the Word of God is the truth. Now, we're going to start every doctrinal topic with a doctrinal statement or a statement of faith. All the ones that we will use, since we are members of Riverland Hills Baptist Church, we are going to use the statement of faith that is used by our church in the official documents of our church that state what we believe about all of these things. And then we will move from there. First of all, if I did not agree with what our church says they believe, I wouldn't be a member of the church. So first of all, by using their doctrinal statement, number one, it helps promote unity within our church. Number two, I agree with it. 
I believe that. And they've already formulated the verbiage, so we might as well use it. Okay? So here is the statement of faith of our church relative to what we believe about the Bible. It says this. The Bible is God's word to us. Very important. It was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It is the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living. Because it is inspired by God, it is the truth without any mixture of error. Can you guys see that? You guys see? Okay. So this is where we start. So let's, let's look at this real quick and break it down very simply. Number one, the Bible is God's word to us. This is God talking to us. Now, in the Gospel of John, at the end of the Gospel of John, John writes this. If everything that could be known about Jesus was written in a book, the world wouldn't be able to contain all the volumes. So the, the Bible is not everything there is about God. But it is everything that God wanted us to know. The Bible is God's word to us. This is what he wanted us to know. Number two, it was written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. Humans wrote these words down, but the most important thing, and we'll talk more about this um, probably next week. We're going to spend the next two weeks talking about the authority of Scripture, uh, revelation and inspiration and what are those things. How do we know that these words came from God? But the, the most important part for us to remember is it was under the guidance, and we're going to look at that in just a second, it was under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. This was not a bunch of guys writing down what they thought. It wasn't their idea. The Holy Spirit made sure that everything they wrote was exactly what God wanted written. The Bible is a supernatural book. That's why it says it was under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Bible is not a normal book. It's supernatural. If it's a normal book, I don't want to base my eternity on it. Because normal books can be wrong. I want to base my eternity and what I believe about eternity and heaven and hell and God on something that's supernatural, that's bigger than me. Uh, we had, um, this past week, I actually spoke to a lady, and I, I may have mentioned it to you last week, but there is a lady that recently joined our church who um, has a Ph.D. in creative writing from USC. She's a senior adult and wants to write my story, the book that I wanted to write. It don't look like I'm going to have to write it now. She's going to write it. So, but, but what we'll do is I'll sit down and I'll tell her things about my life and then she'll write it down. Do you think that somewhere in writing all that she might get something that's not exactly accurate about what really happened in my life? Sure. Because we're human. Well, well, that's just a normal book. I don't want to base my eternity on a book like that. It's a supernatural book. Next, it's the supreme source of truth for all Christian belief. If I'm a Christian, this is my source of truth. And we just talked about that. And then finally, because it is inspired by God. Because God is the one who basically supervised the writing of it. Then it is complete truth and there is no mixture of error. In other words, it is inerrant. There is no error anywhere in the book. And by the way, if you ever find an error... Throw it away and go have a great time because when you die, who knows what's going to happen. Because if there is one mistake in it, there could be a thousand mistakes in it. And if there is a mistake there, then how do I know what's right and wrong? 
Okay? So, very important that you have a doctrinal statement that we know we can verbalize what we believe about these things. Okay? So that's where we're going to start. There are four basic things that the Bible teaches about itself. And we're going to look at these four things over the next several weeks. I just want to give them to you real quick, okay? Number one, the Bible talks about its authority. And that's what we're going to spend the next two weeks talking about. And that's where we'll actually get into a little more of the details about revelation and inspiration and what is that and how did it happen and why do we know that this is really God's Word. But it's authority. It says it is authoritative. What does that mean? It is God's Word. Okay? Number two, clarity. It can be understood. The Reformation began in the early first century because the Roman Catholic Church basically said the common people could not read the Bible, first of all, because it, most of it was written in Latin and a foreign language the common people couldn't understand. And then when Tyndale wanted to write an English version of it that the common people could understand, inspired by Martin Luther's thesis that he wrote when he read the Bible in Edinburgh, they got upset because they said the common person can't understand it. And if they do get an English version that they can read, they can't interpret it because they're not spiritual enough to be able to interpret it properly. So there was the discouragement about the common people reading and using and interpreting the Bible in their own personal life. The Bible teaches itself that it can be understood and should be. Number three, necessity. The Bible teaches it is necessary for my life. I can't make it in life without it. I, I, we're, by the way, we'll talk next week about general revelation and special revelation. Just a little idea. General revelation, Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day and the day are his feet, night and the night shows that he is a God. Every human being has a general idea that there is a God. And, and we'll talk about that. Special revelation is the Bible. It is when God gave us details about himself in the written word. And we'll talk more about that next week. But the Bible is necessary for our life. It is God's only special revelation of himself to man. And therefore, we cannot fully know him without it. There's general and there's special. You and I only have one source where God himself told us about himself in detail. He told us about who he was. He told us about who we were. He told us about our standing with him, how he views us, how we can get to heaven, how we can have our sins forgiven. There's only one place where God himself addressed all of those issues specifically, and that's in the Bible. So that's why it is necessary. I cannot know what I need to know about God just by knowing that there is a creator up there somewhere because all of this had to be created by something, but I don't know who it is. Acts 17, the Athenians worshipped every god that came along. They actually had an idol with the inscription to the unknown god because they knew there had to be a god out there that did all this. They didn't know what his name was. And so Paul took that opportunity to explain to him what his name was, Jehovah, the real God. Okay? So I cannot know everything I need to know about God just by knowing the sun and moon and stars were created by something. I have to have the Bible. Okay? And then finally, sufficiency. 
The Bible contains all we need to know God, to become a believer, and to follow Christ in my daily life. It's sufficient. In other words, I don't need the Bible and something else. All I need is the Bible. And the Bible itself teaches all four of these things about the Scripture. And as we go through the next several weeks, we'll actually address all four of these, and we'll look in the Scripture where it teaches about all of these things and some aspects of it, okay? All right. I'm going to finish today, um, before we go into our small groups, by talking about this. Why do I, as your teacher, why do I believe the Bible? So I figured I'd just start there, because if I don't believe it, then all I am is just an instructor telling you something that it may be true, it may be not. But I'm going to tell you why I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and I'm going to give you some verses, okay? Number one, I believe the Bible is the Word of God because it claims to be the Word of God. Let me give you some verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, completely furnished unto every good work. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. The Bible claims to be. Also, another passage of Scripture, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Matter of fact, if you want to turn there, we'll read this together. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. This is very important when it comes to inspiration of Scripture. Peter says this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. In other words, it wasn't their idea. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this book is not some ghostwriter's version of what God wanted to say. This is God's word. It wasn't their idea. It was God's. And he gave it to them and they wrote it down. Let me give you... um, some more scriptures. Psalm 12, all of these are in Psalms, by the way. Psalm 12 and verse 6. Psalm 18 and verse 30. Psalm 12, verse 6. Psalm 18, verse 30. Psalm 119, verse 160. The first two verses say this in the NIV. Every word of God is flawless. It's inerrant. There is no error. Psalm 119, verse 160 says... The Word of God is true, every bit of it. Then, in Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 30, I mean, uh, Proverbs chapter 30, verse number 5, I'm sorry. Proverbs 30, verse number 5, it also states the same thing that Psalm 12 and Psalm 18 stated, that every Word of God is flawless. So why do I believe that the Bible is God's Word? Why do I believe it? Because the Bible tells me it came from God. And I believe it. Number two, I believe the Bible because it's indestructible. Let me give you some verses here, and then I want to read you an article um, out of one of my theology books that I believe describes some events in history that will prove this. Psalm 119 and verse 160 also says that the word of the Lord endures forever. Matthew 24, 35, Mark 13, 31. And Luke 21, 33. Matthew 24, 35. Mark 13, 31. And Luke 21, 33. In all three of these verses, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. 
Now, let me read you this. This is um, out of uh, a theology book that I use, but he, he's quoting here some history. The Roman emperors soon discovered that the Christians grounded their beliefs on the Scriptures. Consequently, they sought to suppress or exterminate them. Notably, Diocletian, who by a royal edict in 303 A.D., demanded that every copy of the Bible be destroyed by fire. He had killed so many Christians and destroyed so many Bibles that when the Christians remained silent for a season and kept in hiding, he thought that he had actually put an end to the Scriptures. He caused a medal to be struck with the inscription, The Christian religion is destroyed and the worship of the gods restored. But it was only a few years later that Constantine came to the throne and that he made Christianity the state religion. What would Diocletian say if he could have returned to the earth and seen how the Bible has gone on its world mission? During the time of the Reformation, when the Bible was translated into the tongue of the common people, the Roman Catholic Church put severe restrictions on the reading of the Bible on the ground that they were incapable of interpreting it. Permission had to be obtained to read it. But even when permission was granted, it was conditioned on the, pro, on the uh, prohibition that the reader not seek to interpret it for himself. Many laid down their lives for the simple reason that they were the followers of Christ and put their trust in the Scriptures. Persistent effort was made by the Romanizers to suppress the English Bible. In 1543, an act was passed forbidding absolutely the use of Tyndale's version and the reading of the Scriptures in assemblies without royal license. First attempts were made to prohibit the printing of this Bible, and when he finally published his New Testament, he had to ship it into England hidden away in cases of merchandise. When it reached England, it was by ecclesiastical authorities bought up in quantities and burned in London, Oxford, and Antwerp. Of the estimated 18,000 copies printed between 1525 and 1528, only two fragments are known to have remained. It is interesting to note in this that the connection here with Voltaire, a noted French infidel, who died in 1778, predicted during this time that in 100 years from his time on the earth, Christianity would be extinct. But instead of this, only 25 years after his death, the British and Foreign Bible Society was founded, and the very presses that printed Voltaire's infidel literature have since been used to print the Bible. And we could go on. There's all kinds of attempts in here and all kinds of things in history where people have tried to destroy the Bible. Do you know any book that stays on the bestseller list for more than five or six years? How about 50 years? How about 100 years? Try 2,000 years. There's only one, the Bible. So how do I know? Why do I believe the Bible? Well, I believe it because the Bible tells me it's God's Word. Number two, you can't destroy it. God said you can't. And no matter what people try and do to destroy it, you can't do it. It's a supernatural book. Number three, because of the character of the Bible. 
Um, I wish we had time to go through all of this. But let me just mention a couple of things. Not to mention the fulfilled prophecies of the Old Testament and just all the prophecies relative to the coming and the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that were fulfilled. Not only that were predicted in the Old Testament, but have been fulfilled. On top of all that, think about this. This is a book with incredible unity. 66 books written over some 40 years, or, or by some 40 authors, over 1,600 years on dozens and dozens of different topics and events. Yet, there is not one contradiction in the whole book. Not one. Try writing a 20-page term paper on 12 different topics and have one other person do the same thing. Andrew and I taught today on the exact same topic. I sat through his class. It was nothing like mine. Nothing. Taught the same truths, totally different. That's two guys in two hours that can't even say the same thing. This is a supernatural book. But I'm going to tell you the main reason why I really believe the Bible and why I know it's God's Word, and that's the last one, because of the influence it's had on my own life. Let me tell you, if the Bible is not true, I'm still going to live the way it says to live because of what it's done for my own life. I want you to take your Bible in closing. I want you to turn to John chapter 9. I want to show you something that's very, very important. I believe it's a great principle. And I love the story. John chapter 9, we have the story of the blind man, the man who was born blind, and Jesus on the Sabbath healed him. Bad, bad boy. Making somebody well on the Sabbath, according to the Pharisees. Of course, you know the story. They got really upset. And so in John chapter 9, look at verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. This man can't be from God because he apparently did something wrong. Let me ask you something. Have, have we ever done anything wrong? How about Peter? Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost. Preached, 3,000 people got saved, they got baptized, they formed the first church in Jerusalem. But wait a minute, that can't be from God. Because after all, Peter denied Christ three times. So he can't be of God. So all that that happened, that can't be from God. Right? Wrong. They kept going to the blind guy, saying, admit to us this guy is not from God. I mean, we really need you to do this because what he has done is really causing problems for us because what we teach, if he's really from God, blows apart all this legalistic idea that you've got to be perfect to live for God. You can't be of God if you make a mistake. Notice what he answered. Look at John chapter 9, verse 25. They've asked him and asked him. After finally being approached the second time, here's what they said in verse 25. He replied, Whether... He is a sinner or not, I don't know. Is this man from God? I don't know. I don't know. You're asking me to verify something I cannot verify. 
Well, what can you verify? Look what he says. One thing I do know. I was blind, and now I can see. And he's the reason. You can argue all day long. Academics and logic and reason. But I'll stand here today and I'll tell you this. I was a dirty, rotten, miserable person. And today, I have a wonderful family. I have been blessed. I have purpose in life. And my life is different. And this book is the reason. So why do I believe the Bible? This is why. It claims to be God's Word. It's indestructible. Its character is flawless. And because of what it's done in my life. Next week we're going to start talking about the authority of the Bible. What is revelation? What is inspiration? Where, where did, how did all this happen? And we'll, we'll dig into the scripture and we'll talk a little bit more. When the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. What does that mean? Okay? And don't forget, if you've got questions, uh, there are three by five cards on the table. If you want to write those down, drop them in the, the little red bucket on the table, then I'll do what I can to answer questions uh, next week, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can know it's the truth. That man cannot destroy it. Its unity is supernatural. And its principles change our lives. Father, help us to stand firm, to stand strong, and to love your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to...